Thanks for joining us for this week's Positive Talk podcast. Your hosts, Julie Homrich and Chuck Allen, are in season number five and starting this season with three practical conversations about something we all struggle with, relationships. So settle in and enjoy the Positive Talk podcast as Julie and Chuck merge faith and psychology. Hey, everybody. It's a great day to find an encouraging and a positive word here at the Positive Talk podcast, and thanks so much for that introduction. Julie, last week, we started by giving some scientific and spiritual reasoning that backs up the validity of the claim that relationships are critical. Yeah, they're important. And let's face it, we we all have relationships. Mm -hmm. We all have some healthy ones, Mm -hmm. or most of us do. Uh, we, Hopefully. We all have some really funky ones. Yes. And then we have a lot of acquaintances that are somewhere in the middle, but they vacillate a lot. Mm-hmm. And you know what I've learned that, you know, if there were a continuum from like, you know, really sucky relationships to like super healthy relationships mm-hmm. that we rarely, uh, we, we rarely can batch people. I mean, individuals right. stand on that continuum, right? Mm-hmm. But, but it's like mother may I, sometimes we're a little closer, sometimes we're, and finding flexibility in relationships seems to be a big deal. Yes. And, and science supports that. We, you know, we've got to hold these relationships loosely mm-hmm. and allow them to come and go and grow and all the other things that mm-hmm. happen with it. But we, we learned also in that that loneliness can literally take years off your life. This is so interesting to me yeah. when you look at even the physical, the medical impact. Yeah. Of I, so I read a study uh, several weeks ago. I actually taught about it on a Sunday morning, mm-hmm. and um, this this study that was actually a Harvard study mm-hmm. came and said that loneliness does more damage to your physical body your health yeah. than smoking packs of cigarettes mm-hmm. now think about that it I mean, takes years off your life oh what was my it? gosh like 14 years absolutely it yeah. takes 14 years 14 off of your, years life. Off your and life and when i think about that just put it into practicality like mm-hmm. in my my mom's case my her doctor when she passed away couldn't really give a reasoning mm-hmm. you know i mean i'll never forget i'm i'm in the hospital and mom has passed away and i'm talking to the doctor and i said when people say, what did your mom pass away from? His answer was, I think your mom just wanted to die. Mm. Not that she was suicidal. Mm-hmm. She was just lonely. Yeah. People say broken heart syndrome, right? Yeah. yeah. That it actually, you know, loneliness, grief that can affect your heart in such a way that it, it just doesn't operate the way that it used to. The good news is though, that we can become much better versions of ourselves in the opposite. On the flip end, yes, yeah. relationships have the capacity so, yeah, to so do that. Yeah, so healthy relationships literally can extend our mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. and I've seen that as well. I've mm-hmm. seen people who have, like my age, you know, 60 plus, that have, wait a minute, stopped and had this, aha, I need friendships in my life. Yeah. You know, and and we have done that. Mm-hmm. So Jenny and I, you know, as we entered into our 60s, it was like, Holy cow, we need friendships and we, we need friendships in like all the sectors mm-hmm. of our life, not just mm-hmm. a pocket of friends. Like right. we have dear friends at church. We have dear friends in our neighborhood. We have friends from our past. I mean, but it has genuinely given us energy. Yes, it is an energizing thing. You put the effort in at the beginning to develop those relationships and then it reaps dividends in your life. Yeah, but today... With all of that in mind, today's episode, we're trying to focus a little bit this week on this this concept of, so what are some of those red flags? Because we mm-hmm. all get them, right? Yeah. I mean, 
aren't I guarantee you as a therapist, even in a, in your, in your office, mm-hmm. there are times when you sit down and it's a, it's, it's most likely a wonderful person, mm-hmm. but you have these red flags that pop up within us. Yeah. Well, we joked about last, last episode, you know, people will come in and they'll be in a new relationship and we'll say, well, didn't you see the red flags? And they're like, I thought it was a carnival, you know, like they're there. We just don't always see them. Yeah. It was just woohoo. On the other hand, those red flags are there for a reason. Right. And I think a lot of times, you know, we, we kind of touched on this last week. Um, but today I want to talk about those red flags, but also why, what, what leads us to continue to get in those relationships where yeah. the red flags are there, yeah. right? Why do we continue to get in unhealthy relationships? I have people who come in all the time and yeah. they're like, why do I keep getting in these relationships, whether it's a partner, a friendship, a yeah. work relationship? Yeah. It seems that in every sphere of their life, alternatively to what you and you and Jenny are doing, they are consistently in these toxic yeah. relationships yeah. and they want to know why. So here's a question for the therapist. You ready? The, pa- the pastor wants to ask the therapist a question. Okay. All right. This is nowhere near our script, but I, Never. I, I couldn't wait to ask this question. Uh-oh. Is, is there any differentiation? Like I see it a lot where people get into consistently bad relationships. And typically I see this romantically, mm-hmm. but weirdly enough, I see it professionally. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So is there a difference? This is an A and B question, by the way. Part A is, <laughs> okay. is there a difference uh, where do, do males or females, is there any differentiation, differentiation there? Like it, do one or the other have a, a greater proclivity toward repeating poor relationships? And then part, part B is, do you think the same people who make these choices, like in a in a uh, in, in a in a professional relationship, mm-hmm. do they do the same? Are those the same people that do this in romantic relationships? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and I think you know to answer the first part, part A yeah. of the question, um, if I remember it correctly. So any any change in relationship starts with awareness, right? So right, I don't right. know that it's necessarily a male or a female issue. It's just, is somebody aware of their relationship patterns, whether they're a male or a female right out of the gate, because I don't think they're like, I have in, in my pastoral work, I've Mm -hmm. never seen a differentiation, Mm -hmm. but in, in like a male driven society, I think men believe in their heart that this is a female issue. Mm -hmm. But what I see is that men do it equal or more, they, they just don't, they're not as aware of it. Well, sometimes this comes out in the work environment yeah, too. Yeah. If, if a male is more career driven, mm-hmm. what we find, and this is, this is interesting to study, um, just in the clinical world is that we repeat our family of origin, uh, dynamics wow. in our work environment. Yeah, yeah. So if you wonder why do I continue to get in these toxic work situations, yeah. Take a look back into your family of origin because we are repeating it. We are creating our family (laughs) within our work environment. You know, if if you're listening right now and you're thinking back to your family of origin, Mm -hmm. it is so easy to see how we naturally repeat that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it happens in our work. Mm -hmm. But it really happens in the selection that we have of, uh, 
a partner. Well, and I hear a lot of women say this, like, why am I attracting men like my Mm -hmm. father? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I didn't have a great relationship with him and now I'm dating my dad, you know, essentially like in how we interact with each other. And then they feel really powerless, right? Because they're like, why do I keep getting in these relationships? And really what happens in this is we do this thing and there's a psychological word for it. It's called repetition compulsion. I knew you'd bring that out. (laughs) It's a fancy word, but basically we continue to get in situations relationally because we want to master what we couldn't control in the past. Okay. So this is what repetition compulsion is. It's a compulsion to repeat our past until we can heal it. Wow. So we're trying repeatedly to fix or to heal what we couldn't in the past. Now, the problem with this, Chuck, is that we can't control another person, right? right? right, right. Especially if we're an adult, we think we have some kind of mastery now, but there's another person involved in this. Mm-hmm. And most likely it's a toxic situation. If yeah. you're trying, if you're engaging in repetition compulsion, I, I, it's worth stopping here maybe and just like pausing for a moment because just the phrase, we have a compulsion to repeat our past until we can heal it. Now, once again, here's the pastor asking the therapist the question, but it doesn't seem to me like just at a personal level, people I know, people I work with, we don't tend to heal well by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, because again, we talked about, you know, awareness being the first yeah. step to healing. Sometimes we get that awareness just in prayer from God. Right. But even then yeah. that's the result of a relationship. Right, right. We have to be, we have to be able to have things mirrored to us so that we can see what they look like. And then we can therefore kind of explore that in more detail and heal from that. So why, this, this seems like a silly question, but it's probably so elementary it's worth asking. Why don't we as humans, why don't we walk away from those toxic relationships? Yeah. So in the example of like a repetition compulsion type situation, what happens is that we end up feeling very powerless because we're, we're in the situation to try to, um, to try to kind of gain some sort of control over it and some mm. sort of power, but it's not happening. Mm. And then when we feel powerless, that contributes to low self-esteem. And I think we talked about last week, when we have low self-esteem, we attract people who value us at the same level or below that we value ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah. And so at the end of the day, I think to answer your question, people don't leave toxic relationships or workplaces or friendships because even if they feel hurtful, they feel familiar. Ooh. And there is something about that familiar, familiarity, yeah, I cannot yeah, say yeah. that word, um, that feels secure in yeah. a sense, right? Isn't that odd, though? I mean, It is. I, I feel like I have been there. We all have. I think have. most people have, right? We all have. But what, then something has to happen then that changes that relationship pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, until we learn to change the way that we view love, mm-hmm. the way that we view security, the way that we view attachment, then we will be able to change our relationship patterns. Yeah. But a lot of this starts with how we learned to relate from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, right? I agree with that so much, yeah. And so when we think about this in light of the question, why do I do what I do in mm-hmm. relationships, we kind of have to go back to the beginning, yeah, yeah. back to our initial attachment so um, with again, our primary again, caregivers. I'm off the script, but I just have to ask this question, right? So do you, do you think our culture has uh, evolved enough to where that is a normalized 
situation? Or do you think people still look at that and say, oh, that's just bull crap, having to go back to your back to the roots? I, mm-hmm. I, I used to be that person. I, I would imagine, yeah. I mean, I think it's a generational, I think it's a generational yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. too. I do, too. Right? It's yeah, like, why look sure. back, look forward? And the only reason to look back is for the purposes of looking forward. Yeah. You're not yeah. trying to get stuck there. Yeah. Right? I'm a police chaplain here in our county, and so I had to go to this police chaplain training thing a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So believe it or not, at 63, I'm one of the younger men in the room, mm-hmm. whatever. And, um, and I have this one guy who's doing this class and it's kind of sensitivity training, right? Mm-hmm. He is the least sensitive human yeah. I've ever heard talk about any subject, <laughs> yeah. you know, and his whole thing was basically, I don't care what your issues are, suck it up. Yeah. And I, and I thought to myself, yeah, you know, you might want to consider a new person to do that one. But but yeah. I think it is generational. Yeah. I also think if you go to the family of origin, you will find that same kind of lack of sensitivity birthed in that family. Yeah. Well, and we want to look at our relationship. I like to call it your relationship blueprint. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. how did you learn what relationships look like, you know, what's acceptable in relationships, all of those things, you go back to that family of origin, you learn about attachment. This is like that buzzword in therapy circles right now is attachment, right? So if we want to bring it back to basics, and I really want to talk about what you just said in terms of the sensitivity in a minute, because it's very important. But if we bring it back to basics, Our first relationships ever are with our primary caregivers, right? right. Whether that's parents, grandparents, daycare workers, whatever that looks like. And these relationships, they don't account for everything. Mm -hmm. You hear some people who are like, it's all my parents' fault, right? Mm, No, it's not, not. right? But they do set a blueprint for how we view ourselves in light of connection with others, Mm. okay? Now, it's not just your relationship with your parents, specifically our relationship with our primary caregivers, it's most important to consider what that looks like in developmentally vulnerable stages. Okay. Mm. So we have these stages in our life where we are actually a little bit more vulnerable to relationship challenges. Are those, um, more vulnerable stages are, are they universal or are they specific to the individual? I think they're probably both, but mostly universal. Yeah. Um, just in the way that God created us developmentally, zero to two is a very mm-hmm. vulnerable stage. Adolescence is a very mm-hmm. vulnerable stage because all the things that we were learning in adolescence, some of it are in uh toddlerhood yeah. we are refining in adolescence carry it on. which yeah. is why sometimes our teens act like toddlers because the brain's doing similar yeah, stuff yeah. right I, I think it happens to senior adults we revert back to that uh-huh and during transitions that's yeah, yeah, another yeah, yeah. very yeah. vulnerable time now the important piece of this chuck is that our primary caregivers how they teach us that we are worthy of good relationship of love mm. of respect of connection Um, They teach us that through two things, attunement and responsiveness. Those are like the two buzzwords. Can you, just for for the sake of uh, the pastor in the room, can (laughs) can you unpack those two a little bit for me? Yes. So attunement is being able to be in tune with what your child needs. And this isn't just in a parent-child relationship. Right. You can have attunement in relationships with friends, with spouses, right? You want to be able to be in tune with what they need. That guy in the chaplaincy, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was not really attuned. No, I don't, okay. But <laughs> see, that makes sense. So that, so that answer is like, I walked in the studio late today, had kind of a weird morning, and Julie looks at me and kind of has this, are you okay? 
Yeah. You know, that, 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 I mean, that's a small picture, but that's attunement. Attunement. Right. It's in a right. recognition. Okay. Chuck's a little disheveled. He's come in just, you know, and he's typically got that, let's knock this out kind of thing, you know, and she's like, yeah. <laughs> this is so, so funny. Every single time we come into the studio, Chuck's like, let's go. I'm like, hold on a second. <laughs> I just need yeah. to talk through this. Okay. So I need to work on my attunement. attunement? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's just personality. But the other piece is responsiveness. And this is what we typically think in parent child relationships yeah. is the child expresses a need and the parent responds. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, Now, here's why these two elements are important, Chuck. So for many people, as I kind of talked about earlier, when they explore their parental relationships, they tend to do one of two things. Mm -hmm. They either justify their parents' choices. Mm -hmm. This is the clients that come in and they're like, well, they did the best they could. And, you know, they can't say a negative thing about their family. It's like it's hardwired in them not to. Right. But then they're not really seeing history correctly and they can't necessarily heal. Yeah. That's a bit of a Pollyanna perspective. Right. But I can remember as an adult when I when when it hit me that I loved my parents Mm -hmm. dearly, Mm -hmm. but it was interesting to see when when kind of when I became a parent, actually, all of a sudden I had this view of, whoa, I don't want to follow that. They're not perfect. Yeah. And both of those things can be true at the same time. You can love them deeply and respect them deeply and also recognize that there are things. But you can't justify everything. Right. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have people who blame their parents for all Mm -hmm. their problems or like, I'm the way I am because my parents did this. And it's like, okay, let's, you know, recognize what happened and let's figure out where your responsibility is. Just suck the life out of you. Absolutely. So it's, it's very nuanced when we talk about this. Now, as you mentioned earlier with the, um, the chaplain who was teaching, um, he was not, sensitive or attuned this happens in parent-child relationships a Mm -hmm. lot and the challenge with this is that it creates that sense of that lack of attunement so here's an example each of us enter the world with a very unique temperament right yeah all of us this is where you kind of go into that very specific um temperament and we all need to be parented in a certain way, yeah, right? right? Some kids need to be parented one way. Some kids need to be parented another way. Parents of multiple children know this. One child can be radically different than the others, no even kidding. with similar yeah. home environments, right? Okay, so an example of this, Chuck, is this this past couple of weeks, my kids started school, right? Yeah. And they get home after the first week. And, you know, the first week after school is crazy. Oh, like yeah. all the yeah. kids are just completely exhausted. And I look in the folder and there's this little behavior chart. Okay. <laughs> Parents who know this, you know, at the end of the week, they oh, open man. it up and they're like, yeah. what happened at school this week? And so I opened it up. And for one of the, one of my children, Um, I looked at it and it said, this child, you know, he's wonderful. He's a role model for our entire class, you know, and I'm feeling pretty good about my parenting at this moment. Right. Like I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm like kind of puffing around the kitchen, you know, like, yeah, good job, buddy. And so I asked my other child, I'm like, Hey buddy, come on in here. You know, how was, how was your week? You know, how were things? And he looks at me and hundred percent honest, Chuck, he looks at me and he's like, well, he's like, my teacher is evil and I got in trouble for farting at school. And I was like, how did you get it? First of all, how did you get in trouble for farting at school? Like that's a natural human thing, right? No, but not for boys. No. Uh, well, apparently. I mean, for so little boys, I, it's sport. I, yeah, that's yeah. exactly. So that's what happened. I looked at him. I'm like, wait, you got in trouble for <laughs> farting in school. I'm like, what happened? He's like, well, actually I farted. And then this kid made fun of me. And so I told him. 
that every time you fart, all these like particles get released and he's like the closest to me. So he's going to get the highest level of transmission and all the stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh. Right. So different kids, you same know, parents. Did, of all the topics I thought might come up in this podcast, <laughs> I didn't see that one. Yeah. Well, so you I'm don't just, have on, my son. On behalf of your son, let me just stop and say at 63, there's still a middle schooler in me that when I scroll through my Instagram reels mm. and I see those people who mm-hmm. intentionally, you know, make this noise in public places just to film the just, reactions yeah. of people. Yeah. I giggle like a middle school boy <laughs> yeah. every time. I don't. I, yes. It's just built in us. Well, you and my son would have a grand old time 100%. together. Yep. So this is that example, right? There's various differences in our children, right? Yeah. Sensitivity, yeah. compliance. The one who is the role model, he likes to obey. Like right. it feels right, good right. to him. The yeah. other one, not, not so much, so much yeah. right? He has more of a need for autonomy. So sometimes in parenting, well-meaning parents will try their best to be responsive to their child and meet their needs based on what the parent believes the child needs, right? So Mm -hmm. if you have that kind of insensitive, you know, teacher, he's like, get over it, right? But maybe there's a sensitive person who really, that's not how they need to be treated. So there's a difference in attunement. And this creates misunderstanding, right? It creates a person who feels like their needs aren't valid. Okay. And that misunderstanding, it it varies by degree, of course, but it, it, it is an obstacle along the way in being healthy. Right. And I love something that you and, and Pastor Bobby were talking about a couple of weeks ago and just the importance of trying to understand before being understood. Yeah, absolutely. And this really helps create yeah. responsiveness yeah. and attunement, right? Yeah. When we listen before we speak, yeah. right? Um, with our children, when we are willing to learn from our child as well as teach them. Absolutely. These are the things that really create that responsiveness and that attunement. Mm. Yeah, I like now, we that. don't always experience that in our relationships, right? Yeah. So th- so if, if, we, if we're dealing with these things, um, especially attunement, then there, there has to be, uh, it, it feels like there's an element of trust mm-hmm. that has to be shared. Right. Somewhere in there. Yeah. So how does all this talk about our childhood and, yeah, yeah. you know, my son's farting yeah. mechanisms. You had a hard these... time even saying that, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I saw... Like, I, I was trying to figure out if I could use a different word, but I was yeah, like... Yeah, if you go to our YouTube page and watch work. this video, you'll see Julie just dying trying to say like, that word. <laughs> so how does this all relate, right? What, what's the point of this? Well, when a parent is attuned to what a particular child needs, that particular child, they build that relational trust, yeah, like you yeah, mentioned. Yeah. And trust is really... It's, check it's You know this. It's the foundation for all healthy relationships. Oh my gosh, yeah. With each other, with God, it's yeah. all based on trust. Yeah, the right? Greeks believed that in a healthy relationship with two people that um, there was almost a force field built around them that protected the relationship. Trust. And it was built on trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, children who don't experience this, mm. who don't experience attuned caregiving or my favorite word repair yeah. when yeah. it's not attuned. Cause let's yeah. not, let's be real here. We're not going to always be attuned Absolutely. to our kids. Yeah. Um, but when they don't have that, they grow into adults who can't quite figure out if their relational needs are valid or not. Ooh. So this is the people who are like, is it okay that I'm asking for this? Like, does the, like, is wow. it okay yeah. that I need this? Right. Yeah. And then they tend to alternate between extremes at that mm. point. 
they either expect others to meet all their needs. Um, and this is where, you know, they might, since they don't know what they need, they might yeah. just kind of assume that however someone else treats them is what's best for them. Right. right. Cause they're like, okay, if you think I need this, like, okay. I guess this is yeah. how we do it. Right. Well, it feels like it would be psychologically exhausting. It is exhausting. Well, it's also exhausting for the partner because yeah, then yeah. they can never be enough. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, and then the alternate end of the spectrum is, okay, no one's going to meet my needs. No one's attuned to me. No one really understands me. So I'm not even going to try and I'm yeah. going to isolate myself from yeah. other people and I'm not going to receive from them. Which we know isn't, it, there's no way that that is beneficial. Right. They're just two extremes yeah. of attachment styles and you can see how this could create mm -hmm. difficulty in our interpersonal relationships. So this is how the blueprint is yeah. created. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that it can't be changed. Right. You exactly. see this all the time. Yeah, yeah. Right. The best plans in the world are written in pencil. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the, the fact that we are a, uh, preachers hate it when I talk about this, but we are an evolutionary people. <laughs> I mean, we, just say it again, Chuck. I know, say just say it for the people in the back. <laughs> yeah, we are, an, we, we are indeed an evolutionary people because I am living proof that you can change through some of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even if you did not, you being anyone, didn't develop a secure attachment yeah. as a child, um, and this can happen through many ways. Maybe the parent wasn't emotionally available. Maybe they weren't physically available. Maybe they were traveling a lot. Maybe there was a breach in security through divorce or death. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, like we talked about, there was just that mismatch in a parent-child yeah. temperament. Yeah. Well, psychologists have learned that we can develop something called earned secure attachment. I okay? love that phrase. Yeah. yeah it's some, we kind of build these surrogate attachment figures mm -hmm. in our life. Mm -hmm. And... You, know, you talked about Harvard. They actually did a study on resilience. And I love this because I've always wondered what makes some people bounce back and others not. Yeah. yeah. And they found that there, there's a common set of characteristics mm. that kind of predispose um, children to positive outcomes when they faced adversity. Right. What's the first one? The availability of at least one stable, caring, and supportive relationship between a child and an adult caregiver. Wow. This is that earned secure attachment. Yeah. This can happen yeah. across the lifespan, not just as children. So what, how, do you, um, how, do, how, how do you take that uh, concept of earned secure attachment and foster it or create it or support it or build it? I don't know the right term, but there has to be, there has to be some activity that like supports that. Yeah. So it goes back to that attunement yeah. and the responsiveness. Right. Right. A lot of people receive this through their relationship with their therapist. Mm. Sometimes they'll receive it through a relationship with a pastor. It could be a teacher. Yeah. It could be a friend, mm. you know, somebody who just takes the time to be responsive to that person's needs and to be attuned yeah. to what they yeah. actually need. What are that the benefits trust. of that? Are, are there, can you see tangible benefits, outcomes from these kind of earned secure attachments? So when people have a secure attachment, they're able to connect in relationship mm. with others in a healthy way. I mean, that's the core of it. Is resiliency something that is carried from uh, a one relationship or like from a person in relationship to another person? Like, or can it, is there a bit of a relational conduit of like, resiliency? I think that, so, so explain that again. I want so, to make sure so I get it. So let's say that I've, let's say I'm, I'm in a relationship and it's burgeoning, it's growing mm -hmm. and I have this healthy attachment, right? Mm -hmm. 
if if one has if, if one person in that relationship has a tendency toward resiliency, mm-hmm. does it like those mirror neurons we talked about last season? Does that does that kind of resiliency does it pass along into the relationship the other person that's the only way it happens right because you have to have that within yourself to be able to connect with another person yeah and then that person who receives the connection can therefore obtain that within themselves they can pass that on to another person that is how relation like healthy relationships all right i have a i have i have a confession all right. Uh-oh. I know. So as a pastor, there are times people come into my office and they unpack something that they wouldn't tell anybody else. <laughs> yes. Right? And do they do it like right before it's time to go? Absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah, you, the therapist you, you never, thing. You never get these until 530. <laughs> right. right? And, um, the, and it's it, sometimes it's just gut-wrenching stuff. Oh, yeah. You know? And um, what I, I used to think in, earlier in my career... Why are you coming to me with this as if I could do anything (laughs) to resolve this? I mean, I am more screwed up than you are, right? However, Mm -hmm. what I have learned as I have learned a little more attunement Mm -hmm. in my journey is that they just needed to offload and be in a safe environment to have the conversation. And it is amazing how many times that I can convince someone with truth that you're not alone, mm-hmm. that your creator is with you, mm-hmm. that you will walk through this, yeah. that he will He will carry you through this if you'll allow that. And people leave feeling this sense of, I, I really can walk through this. Yeah. Well, for so many people, the people in their lives are so focused on getting their own relational needs met that mm. they don't have the capacity to do what you just did. Yeah. And yeah. to be able to sit with them mm-hmm. and to be able to listen and attune and respond to them. And so that is where, you know, that's where the healing starts. I, I don't know that this is, uh, I don't know that this is actually truth, Julia. It's, this is just speculation on my part. But it does feel to me like if we, if we want to become a person that has really changed the needle on our attunement mm-hmm. for, for, on behalf of healthier, better relationships, meaning healthier, better us, mm-hmm. then it feels to me like the skill set that's most missing is the capacity to listen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's we are not way. a society that knows how to listen. Yeah, that's the only way we can attune. Otherwise, we don't know what the other person needs. Mm. For sure. That is so good. For sure. That is so and good. And so, you know, as we start to heal our attachment style, then we become more balanced in our relationships, mm-hmm. right? So this is like a... Um, a chain link, right? You have one person who's secure. They provide that for someone else. They start to heal. And then it's sort of this global thing that changes throughout all of their relationships, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Now, if we are somebody who's been relying on others to solely meet our needs, which again, we talk about those two extremes, Mm -hmm. right? Then we begin to explore what it looks like to maybe start to meet some of our own needs, yeah, right? Maybe right. start to figure out what we actually do need instead yeah. of just outsourcing that to somebody else. Mm. If you're on the opposite end of the spectrum, if you're closed off, then you might, as you begin to develop secure attachment, you might begin to experiment with being vulnerable right. and relying right. more yeah. on other people. So when I say experiment, because really the only way that we change our relationship patterns is to, first of all, become aware of what they are. Yep. 
And then second, to take measured risks to do things differently than we have yeah. before. I like the term measured risk. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't you have to. You can't change everything all yeah, at once. Yeah, you can't jump off the high dive, you know, and get a wedgie and just assume that's all going to be good if I don't know how to swim. <laughs> right. Thanks for that. That's like a very, like, I feel like we're there. The Jump off the high dive, get a wedgie. Like, this is very descriptive. It, it makes perfect sense to in Why my brain. Why are we talking about all this in this episode? My I, son's. I, go ahead and say Flatulence. it. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> awesome. Okay, so uh, what we probably ought to do is move on to next week. Um, Let's do that. <laughs> however, I want to go back to become aware and take measured risk mm-hmm. uh, because this goes back to the very first show we did five seasons ago mm-hmm. ab- about what would happen if indeed we were to be willing to allow our minds to be renewed Mm-hmm. And find new pathways, neuro pathways in which we can think, yeah. in this case, specifically about relationships yeah. and begin to take those measured risks to become a bit more attuned mm-hmm. and to learn that, wait a minute, there are relationships that are unhealthy yeah. and I don't, I don't have to stay in that, right. but I can see what is healthy mm-hmm. and I can seek that out. And that's what we're kind of going to talk about more yeah, like next now week. Now what? Yeah. You know, what What do I do if I've recognized myself in all of this? I know that maybe my attachment style hasn't been the healthiest. Yeah. And I want to change that. No kidding. I love that. So I want to thank you guys on behalf of Julie and Parker and our team here. Thanks so much for listening in to the Positive Talk podcast as we attempt to merge faith and psychology each week. And we'll be back next week, as Julie mentioned. And I think it's going to be really an interesting conversation about now what do we do in these relationships? How do we heal? Yeah, everybody yeah. needs a practical next step. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And so we're going to tackle that next week. And remember, you can always find all of our seasons, one through now the third episode of season five on the positive talk podcast.com website or also you can find it on facebook and instagram and don't miss the fact that we do have these 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 episodes are videoed and they're without edit in the video so if you've ever wondered how all this happens just check out our youtube channel just go ahead and go into youtube and search for positive talk podcast and maybe Julie talking about flatulence, and that would be awesome. (laughs) So uh, I've talked about wedgies, and she's talked about, well, let's just don't go there. So (laughs) thanks so much for listening in to the Positive Talk Podcast. Find us on Instagram at Positive Talk Podcast. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thanks again for joining Julie and Chuck on this week's Positive Talk Podcast. Please share this episode with friends, family, and social media. You can find our previous seasons and episodes on our website at PositiveTalkPodcast.com. And join us on social media for more content at Positive Talk Podcast. Thanks again and go in peace.